Rav Avigdam Miller Zatzal, Sukkot, a time of celebration. Question, what was the reason for the happiness at the Simchas Beis HaShaeva celebrations in the Beis HaMikdash? Answer, the Simchas Beis HaShaeva, so first we have to realize that it took place during Sukkot. It's the whole Yom Tov of Sukkot that is an special occasion of Simcha. It's Zman Simcha Seinu and we have to analyze that. What is it about? You know that every Yom Tov has a name to it. Pesach is Man Chirusainu, the Yom Tov of our freedom. Shavuos is Man Matan Torasainu, the Yom Tov of the giving of the Torah. What is Sukkot? Sukkot is just Zman Simchasainu, the Yom Tov of our happiness. But we have to know what is the happiness about. So you might say the Simcha is that when they went out of Mitzrayim, they were protected by Hashem in the Midbar for 40 years. Very good, but if that's right, if that's all it is, we should say that. We don't say that. We say, And therefore we have to realize that Sukkot is the celebration of the great joy that Kodesh Baruch Hu is our Father, who provides us with all the happiness of life. That's what Sukkot is for. That's why the Torah calls it Chag HaAsif, the festival of the bringing in of the crops, Shmos. Because when the... Israelites, the original Jew, brought in the produce from his fields. He looked at the blessings that HaKadosh Baruch Hu bestowed on him and he felt that he had to express his gratitude to him. It welled up in his heart and he just had to express his happiness and gratitude. And so HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave them one festival just for that purpose, to be happy in Hashem, to be happy that He is the one who sustains us always. He is the Zon Umafarnes Lakol. He is the one who gave us this harvest. And He is the one who always gives us our sustenance and all the needs of life. That's Chag Asif. Now together with that is tied in also the general recognition of Hashem, not only as our, as our provider, but also as the protector of His people. Like it says, you should live in the sukkah for seven days in order to remember that you dwelt in sukkahs in the wilderness for 40 years. It means that you didn't have fortified cities to protect you. You were as unprotected as could be when you were in the wilderness. And yet, for those 40 years, you were more secure than any subsequent period in our history. Because Hashem, not only is He our provider, but He is our sukkah, our protector. And so sukkah is the reason when we thank Hashem. Sukkah is the season when we thank Hashem. That is the simcha of sukkah, gratitude. Gratitude for everything, and they utilize the occasion in the base of Mikdash to come together and to express the heart, the core of that simcha. What is the center of the whole simcha? The center is that we love our Kodesh Baruch Hu, not only gratitude but love. Only that the Avas Hashem is stimulated by gratitude. The jumping off point, the beginning of love of Hashem, is the feeling that Hashem has given us life and all the needs of life. And so they came together, all the Chachma, Torah and the Jewish people, to express their love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what Simchas Beis Hashem was. It was Avas Hashem. And they sang songs of love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Imani kan, if Hashem is here, HaKol kan, then everything is here. Sukkah 53a. Because everything we have is from Him. Now the highest madrega, the highest pinnacle of achievement for a Jew is when he reaches the love of Hashem. That's why it's the very last shahr, the last section of the Chovis Halavavos. 
The Rambam too, he puts the subject of Avas Hashem at the end of Hilchas Tshuva because he says that it is the highest of all degrees. The Rambam says it's Beferosh and explicitly. And so the climax of Chag HaAsef and Zman Simchasenu was Simchas Beis HaShaeva and a special celebration in the Beis HaMikdash where the nation expressed their love of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And because of that, they were able to draw forth Ruach HaKodesh, just like people draw forth water with buckets. They drew forth waters with joy. Which water? The waters of the Spirit that HaKodesh Baruch Hu showered upon them because of their love for Him. That's why the greatest men, the Hasidim and Anshe Maise, the ones who loved Hashem most dearly, came together and they served as a model for the people by expressing their Ahavas Hashem. And Habitu Alehem Venaharu, the people looked at these great men and they were inspired. See Tehillim. They were exhilarated when they saw how these great men were intoxicated with his love. And it made an impression on all the spectators. The spectators departed feeling that they had drawn buckets full of Ruach HaKodesh that lasted them for the rest of their lives. That was the heart, the core, the purpose of Simchas Beis HaShayv, the happiness in Hashem and the love of Hashem. Sitting in the Sukkah, question, what should we think about when we sit in the Sukkah? Answer, when we sit in the sukkah, the Torah tells us what our thoughts should be. Hashem says that the reason we sit in the sukkah is In order that your generation should know that I put your forefathers into sukkahs, into tents and hats. When I took them out of Egypt, pay attention. During the 40 years in the wilderness, the Bnei Israel were more secure against foreign enemies than any subsequent time in our history. They lived in an open camp with no fortifications, vulnerable to attack from anyone, and yet they were safer than any other time. Now had we had fortified cities in the Midbar, in the desert, high walls and people standing on the walls with bows and arrows, prepared to shoot at the enemy, maybe, but they had nothing at all. And the nations knew that we were carrying all the wealth of Mitzrayim. I always give the same marshal, the same analogy. Suppose you go to Harlem or Bedford Starvesson and you make a tent on an empty lot and you want to sleep there for the night. And everybody, all the people who live there know that you have a pile of money in your tent. What chance do you have to survive? And it wasn't one night. It wasn't a month or even a year. It happened for 40 years. And where did they live? Not in houses. But sukkah is so shafti. They were in sukkahs. A sukkah is not a house. Some flimsy walls, some sticks on top. Whatever it was, it was almost nothing at all. That's a protection? The answer is that it was the most effective of all protections we ever had. The camp of the Amisrael was vulnerable because there was a sukkah overhead. And that was the Ananai covered, the clouds of glory, the clouds of the presence of Hashem that were protecting them. And that's what the sukkah that we sit in symbolizes. We sit in the sukkah under the schach and we say, this sukkah is a pretty flimsy protection. There's no roof of masonry and there's no iron door. There is nothing. And yet that flimsy sukkah overhead represents the idea that it is Hashem who is protecting our nation throughout all the generations. Bitachon in the sukkah, question. I saw in the sefer that the sukkah is bitachon, that it means bitachon. What does that mean? Answer. Now I'm not responsible for everything that every mechaber, every author writes in every sefer, but there's no question that the sukkah teaches us the lesson of bitachon, of trust. 
After all, when you go out into the sukkah, it's not a protection at all. Two walls and a tefach, two walls and a flimsy roof, that's a very weak protection. You're not too safe out there. So if you think as you're sitting in the sukkah that you're sitting under the protection of Hashem, that is an important lesson we practice when we go out of the house into the flimsy little hut. Hashem ma'oin atahayisalano, you're a dwelling for us, to heal him. We live in you. We're being protected by you all the time. We think that it is our efforts that protect us, but it is wrong. Certainly we have to try to be safe against accidents, against predators, against robbers and so on. But we have to know HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the one who guards us. I once went home at night and I locked up the door. I made sure the door was locked and then I went to sleep for the night. I slept safe and sound all night. I got up in the morning and couldn't find my keys. I went outside and the keys were sticking in the keyhole on the outside all night. Anybody who wanted could have taken out the keys and opened up the door. It was a lesson min hashamayim. I was thinking you were safe all night. Is it because you locked the door? No, you didn't lock the door. Hashem locked it for you. Hashem is the one who kept you safe. And so the sukkah is a lesson. Trust in Hashem forever. Because in Hashem, that is the everlasting rock, Yeshaya. It is very important to learn how to trust in Hashem. It doesn't mean you should be careless with your safety. But no matter what you do, no matter what precautions you take... Always remind yourself, Hashem is the one who is guarding me. So even though you may live in your brick house all year long and you bolt your doors every night, sitting in the sukkah for seven days teaches us that our brick walls and our iron doors are all just imagination. Because really, it is only HaKadosh Baruch Hu is protecting us. That's what we're thinking about in the sukkah. And there's a very great reward for that. Kol ha-toyla bitchon HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Anybody who puts his trust in Hashem. Havalo machse ba'olam hazeh u la'olam abo. Hashem becomes to him a trust in this world and the next world. Menachos 29b. The reward for Bitochen in the next world is even greater than in this world. It's a very big mitzvah to trust in Hashem. If we learn to live with Bitochen, it's a very big achievement. And so, yes, among the other symbols, the sukkah is also a symbol of Bitochen. Sukkahs and permanence. Question. I have a technical question, Rabbi. Why is the mitzvah of sitting in the sukkah the one place where the Torah uses the word Ezrach? In describing the one who has to fulfill the mitzvah. Answer. The Pasuk in Vayikra states as follows. Every citizen of Israel should dwell in Sukkot. So that's a strange word to use. You don't find Ezrach used like that. Every Ezrach should eat kosher. Or every Ezrach should keep Shabbos. Or every Ezrach should refrain from shaving with a razor blade. It doesn't say that. It says every Jew, every Yisrael. Only when it comes to Sukkot, it says Ezrach. And the answer is Ezrach means a certified permanent citizen. And so the Torah says, all of you who feel like an Ezrach, a real bona fide citizen in this world, a permanent burger, so make it your business to move out of your permanent home into a temporary dwelling. And that way you'll remind yourself that you're not a permanent citizen here. You're only a visitor in this world. You know it's a big drawback when you're surrounded by a real brick home. Stucco at least is a flimsy thing after all. But suppose you're an Ezrach and you have a real brick home, a sturdy building. Maybe you even paid off your mortgage. So you begin to think, I'll be here forever. 
Tehillim. Like Alabama, in the Indian language, the word Alabama means, here I will rest forever. And therefore, you have to be reminded, there's no Alabama in this world. You won't rest here forever. This place is not our home. We're only passing through on the way to the next world. And so Hashem says, you Ezra, you who think that he's permanent in this world, I want you to move out into the sukkah for seven days and be reminded that this world is only a temporary place. Leave your home and go into the temporary dwelling, sukkah. And so we move out of our affluent homes into a place where there's almost nothing, a nothing roof, some paper ornaments hanging from the ceiling, whatever it is. And even though you'll spend money to beautify the sukkah, it's still nothing like your home. And by taking up residence in your little hut, you're sitting there and you're thinking, what kind of home is this over my head? It's a pretty weak kind of protection. And it could rain in too. Some stick, some schach, and the walls are also not so permanent. If a cold wind is blown on Sukkot and you have two walls and a tefach, you'll need an overcoat. And even if it's not cold, the people passing by won't give you much privacy there. And therefore you'll be reminded every moment that this world is only a diras arai, a temporary dwelling. Woman and the sukkah. Question, why are women not included in the mitzvah obligation to dwell in a sukkah? This answer, the, qu- the same question is, why don't women have any mitzvah that has to be done at a certain time? Now this we have to understand is a question that's possible to ask only in America in these times. Because in a normal society, a woman has a big family, she has children of all sizes, and she's so busy, she doesn't have time to do anything except the mitzvah of raising the family. Even, even with all the conveniences of today, you have a washing machine, you have a dishwasher, a milchik, and fleshic dishwasher, you have electric broilers, you have everything, and still a mother of a family is busy day and night, and so who would be so cruel as to impose upon her the duty of doing mitzvahs that depend on time? And so it is enough if she does whatever she is obligated to do, that's more than enough. There's so much that a Jewish woman has to do when it comes to her family that she can't have any spare time to look for other things. Only a man can separate himself from the duties of the family enough to go to the synagogue every morning for Kriya Shema Bismanuf or reading the Shema in its time to go to at night to shirim, to learn Torah and to do time-dependent mitzvahs like sitting in the sukkah. Of course his wife is welcome to sit in the sukkah. The fact is that ideally a sukkah should be a place that's fit for a man to sleep together with his wife in the same sukkah, certainly. But the obligation of a sukkah you can't put on a woman because many times she has to be with the little babies in the house and she can't pull all the little babies out into the sukkah. And therefore women are absolved of these mitzvahs that depend on time. Leaving the sukkah. Question, why is it dafka, why is it specifically by the din of sukkah that there's a halacha that mitzta'er potum in a sukkah? Someone who is suffering because of the conditions in the sukkah is exempt from the mitzvah of sukkah, while by other mitzvahs we don't find such a halacha. Answer, a mitzta'er, a person who is in distress, is potur, is exempt from the sukkah, because it says, You should dwell there for seven days, and we understand that you should dwell there the same way you dwell in your house, sukkah. And in your house, when something is bothering you in the dining room, if there's a water leak onto the table from the ceiling, or there are mosquitoes, so you don't stay in the dining room, you go into the bedroom or somewhere else. The idea is that living in the sukkah is supposed to be a symbol of enjoying the presence of Hashem. 
And if the physical aspect is a contradiction to that joy, then he can't enjoy this thought of sitting in the presence of Hashem. And therefore it's common sense that mitzvah of sukkah requires a simcha of being in the presence of Hashem, rain in the sukkah. Question, the Mishnah says that rainfall during sukkahs is a simon klala, a bad sign, tarnis. Is that only in Eretz Yisrael or also in Chutz Laaretz? Answer, Yeridas Gashamim Bechag. If it rains on Sukkot, it's a simon klala anywhere, a negative sign. In two senses, however, in one sense, that it spoils the crops. You see, the asif, the grain, was reaped a long time ago, but it remains on the fields over the summer months to dry. So now, if it's going to rain, it will spoil the grain. So that's in Eretz Yisrael, but in America, Lahavdil, they don't let the grain stand on the field a long time after harvesting. In Eretz Yisrael, they did that in the ancient times, and so in that sense, it was a klala because the grain spoiled. But it's also a klala for us too, because anything that prevents us from fulfilling the mitzvah of sukkah is a great loss. We we would prefer to be able to eat in the sukkah always and gain its lessons, and so for us, even in Chutzlaritz, even though we're not farmers and we don't have any sheaths of grain standing on the field to be spoiled by the rain, it's a pity when it rains in Sukkot. That's why the Gemara says that when a Jew walks out of his Sukkah because of the rain, he has to walk out of his Sukkah with regret. Not that he's happy it's raining. I'm potter from the Sukkah now. No. He has to walk out with regret. That is the sign of a Jew. Regret that he can't fulfill the mitzvah. The Gemara says in Avodah Zorah that one day the Goyim will also have Sukkot. Le'asid Lovo, the Goyim, in time to come, in future, the Goyim will all make Sukkot too. And when it gets too hot or it rains, the Goy will say, look, I'm happy, I'm potter, I'm exempt from the sukkah. That will be the test between a, joy, a Jew and a Goy. The Jew is sorry he has to leave the sukkah, and therefore it's a klala. It's a curse for us too whenever it rains on sukkah. Sukkah and exile. Question. In Birkas Amazon on sukkahs we pray, The merciful one should rebuild the fallen sukkah of David. It means the Beis Amitash. What does the Sukkot David have to do with Sukkot per se? Answer. Why is it that on Sukkot we add the merciful one should erect the fallen Sukkah of King David? It means the base of Mikdash that David Amelech planned and prepared for his son Shlomo to build. And the answer is the Sukkah has a special significance because the Sukkah is the symbol of the Jewish nation's existence in exile. We, ex- we exist with the most unprotected of circumstances. We are most vulnerable because we are little people compared to all the nations of the world, and in exile we surely are vulnerable. We don't have any army to protect us, and we are at the whim, at the pleasure of all the nations. And they are trying their best. They have always tried their best. In every generation they have tried again and again to get rid of us. They have made very big efforts. It is only because people don't know about history that they forget about these things. They are unaware, but in many generations they have tried their best. Emperor Hadrian tried his best and he was a very powerful man. He had the Roman Empire at his disposal and he tried his best to stamp out the Jewish people. Not to mention Haman and Hitler and all the rest of them. Yamach Shemam, Vezichram. And so we live in a sukkah in Olam Hazir and that sukkah seems to be a flimsy existence. But actually it is the strongest kind of dwelling because the sukkah is the promise that the Almighty made that we are going to be here forever. He promised that. The nations will come and go, but the Amashem will endure forever. 
That's what this sukkah represents, and that's why it's forbidden to make a sukkah with an iron roof, a concrete roof, because that's the lesson. Our sukkah, the schach, the flimsy little cover is enough because the Ananai cover, the clouds of glory of the Shekhinah, is stronger than any material. The sukkah means that the Jew will be around forever. It doesn't mean every Jew. Individuals may Khalila go lost, but we are here forever. Now, because the sukkah is a symbol of our national existence that is assured forever, that is why we have to remind ourselves that part of the picture is lacking. As confident as we are sitting under the protections of Hashem's Ananai covered, it is not complete until the Sukkah of David is re-established. Even though we are protected in Golos, we want the Beis Hamikdash because without that we are not a complete nation. And so whenever we say Birkas Hamazon and Sukkahs, we say those words to remind us of the, these two principles. We are reminded of our miraculous existence in this world and also that we are looking forward to an even greater future with the rebuilding of the Sukkot David, the Beis HaMikdash, the Ushpizin, question, the Ushpizins that we say on Sukkot, why do we suddenly invite them in on Sukkot and not other times? Why answer? Why is it that on Sukkot we invite as our guests the great men of antiquity, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov and so on? Why not on Pesach to the Seder or other times? The Sukkah is the symbol of our national existence that is assured forever. It represents a house that we live in under the watchful eyes of Hashem. And so inviting in the Ushbizin is as follows. It's like somebody who moves into a new home. So he has to remind himself there was a friend who laid out a $10,000 loan. Another one who laid out another 10000 Let's say it is his wife's parents or maybe an uncle. Without them, he couldn't have bought the house. And so when it comes to making a Hanukkah Sabahis, he calls them in. And so when we make our sukkahs, which represent the eternal existence of our nation, we call in the great men who founded our sukkah. The others are brought in, and the founders of our people, because they are the ones who are responsible for the love that our Kodesh Baruch Hu has for us, and for the covenant that he made with us. Hashem made a covenant with Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov, and therefore we invite them in. And because of David and Moshe and Aaron and Yosef, all these great men who helped establish our nation, and therefore we invite them into the sukkah, the symbol of our nation's eternal existence, because that is where they belong. It is because of their contribution to our nation that we have survived. More on the Ushpizen question. We have a tradition that Avram Avinu will be coming as a guest to our sukkahs on the first night of Yom Tif. How is it possible for Avram Avinu to be in thousands of sukkahs at one moment? Answer. Avram Avinu is in Gan Eden. He's not Meloi Chalaretz You have to understand that. So what does it mean that Avram Avinu will be our guest? It means that the Shein Tov, the dogma, the example and the influence of a man is just like the man himself. We want Avram's influence to come into our sukkah and be mashpia upon us and influence upon us. Avram was a big Oyved Hashem. Avram was ready to sacrifice his son for Hashem. He was a tremendous Baal Chesed. So what we want is that all of the Shleimus, all of the perfection of Avram Avinu should come into our sukkah and influence us. That's more important than Avram Avinu coming into our sukkah. If he came and we didn't think about anything, if we didn't think about who Avram Avinu was, it would be a waste of time, a waste of a visit. But when Avram's influence comes, that's more important than Avram Avinu himself. And that is the Ikar.
That is the main part. Now, when we say that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is in the sukkah, that is a different story. Hakadosh Baruch Hu is in the sukkah, and you have to know that. And I will dwell in the midst of the Bnei Yisrael. Shmos. Asher I dwell among you, says Hashem, by Midbar. And it is true, it's true that wherever the Jews come together, Hashem is there too. A hundred percent true. But when we say Avram is in our sukkah, it means that Avram's example and influence is in our sukkah. When we aren't, when we invite Avraham into our sukkah, we are being mispalal to Hashem that we should be zoicher to impress upon our minds the influence and the ideals of this great man, the Na'anuni, the Na'anuim. Question, what is the meaning of shaking the lulav in all different directions? What do we accomplish? Answer, and the answer is that there are a number of meanings. But one meaning is the same as when we say Kriya Shema. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Echad. And Echad means you are one. North, south, east, west, above and below. In all directions there's nobody but you. So we point the lulav in all directions. It is exactly the same thing. Hashem Echad, that's what the lulav says. And so by waving the Arab Minim in all the directions, we are accomplishing a Muna. We're thinking about the power of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in the north, south, east, west. North means he's in the North Pole. In case you happen to be stranded on the North Pole, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there with you. If you're taking a trip to the South Pole, you'll find him there too. If you go east to China, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is with you. If you go west, wherever you go, you'll find HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ma'ale, if you go up in a spaceship or matter, wherever you go. And when a person makes the Na'anuim and he recognizes that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the Melech who is in power everywhere, so as a result, HaKadosh Baruch Hu bestows on him the result, the good fortune and happiness that comes as a result of recognizing his power. Na'anuim and gratitude. Question. Are there any special things to think about when I'm shaking the Dalad Minim? Answer. Look, a person shouldn't just lean back and do the minimum. You'll just sh- shake this way, shake that way and finished. Let's say you're a firm person who keeps everything. Everything. So you bought a beautiful esrog, built in Murkav, and you paid good money for it. So now you're holding a lulav and an esrog. Is that enough? Now, there's no question that if a person will take the Arab minimum sukkahs and shake it and he's thinking only, this is what a Jew has to do. He's going to get olam haba for that mitzvah. But that's not enough. Maybe you should be mechadesh something in the mitzvah. You have to be a mechadesh. When you make the Na'anuim, you should say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I'm thanking you, Hashem, that you gave me a good heart. You know, many people have sick hearts. They wish they could have your heart. The Midrash says that the Esrug is like the heart. So as you hold up the Esrug, you think, Thank you, Hashem, for giving me a good, solid, healthy heart. And you gave me good eyes. Many people have trouble with their eyes. A lady came over to me in the street last week with a little baby. And she said, Rabbi, give my son a blessing, please. He's blind. Oh, my heart was breaking. My heart is breaking for them. And that's what the Hadassim are telling us. The Hadassim are telling us to thank you for the eyes. The Aravis are the lips, the mouth. Thank you, Hashem, that I... Thank you, Hashem... That I can talk. Don't you see sometimes in the street people who are talking with their hands? Rachmanus, you gave me a good backbone. Many people nisht engedacht lo aleichem are bent over. They have hunchbacks. Their spines are bent, and you have a straight back. Now that's something to think about when you pick up the lulav. That's called being mechadish in the mitzvah, putting more into it than the minimum. And so when you make the Na'anuim back and forth, back and forth, it means our thanks are to you because it came from you, 
Hashem to us. Our thanks are to you, Hashem, because of what's always coming from you to us. That's what we're saying when we shake it back and forth. We shake in all directions because we say, no matter from where the good comes from, it's only coming from you, Hashem, all the time. And so you take the lulav, that's your backbone, your shidra. And you take your heart, that's the esrog. And you take the hadasim, that's your eyes. And you take the arovas, that's your lips, your mouth. And you take all of these and you say, I dedicate them to you, Hashem, for what you did for me. Back and forth, back and forth. That's what you think about by the na'anuin, by the wavings. We say to Hashem, it's all coming from you to me. And in return, I will use them only for you. Halal on Sukkot, question. Besides for the mitzvah of picking up the lulav and esrog, we also shake it by hoidu and halal. What should we think when we shake lulav by hoidu? Answer. So when you do the na'anuim tomorrow morning and you say hoidu l'ashem kitov, you raise you up Hashem for all the good you've done to us. So you start thinking, didn't I marry off my daughter's well? It wouldn't be a bad idea to make one na'anuim for this son-in-law. Ay, ay, ay. I'm thanking you, Hashem, for the son-in-law. And by the next Na'anuim, Hodul Hashem Kitov, I'm thanking you, Hashem, for the next son-in-law. That's how to work it. It's such a very big thing to have married off your children well that you can never thank enough for a good son-in-law or for a good daughter-in-law. And that's how you should think when you make the Na'anuim. It shouldn't just be a mechanical thing. You, you think it's silly? It's not silly at all. I do it. Many times I think like this. One Na'anuim is for my oldest son-in-law. Baruch Hashem, I have a good Adim. Baruch Hashem. And Baruch Hashem, I have a good second son-in-law. And Baruch Hashem for the next Adim. Baruch Hashem, there's no trouble there. I never hear any machlokes, any argument. My daughters live in Shalom with my Adim. Baruch Hashem, I'm happy. Such good Adims. That's why we make Na'anuim. That's what it means. I'm thanking you for what you've given to me. Cholamoid attitudes. Question, what is the purpose of Cholamoid? Cholamoid is meant to be an opportunity for people to think over what the Yom Tov is all about. On Yom Tov we're very busy. We're busy bringing Korbanas and making Su'udas. And sometimes we forget to think about the lessons we're supposed to learn from the Yom Tov. And therefore Cholamoid is an opportunity to think over what it is all about. It's very important to think over what is it all about? What is Yom Tov all about? We're so busy bringing in Yom Tov. There's so much work to do and therefore many times people don't think at all about the lessons of Sukkot. You were too busy. First you were busy building your Sukkah and then you were worrying about your Lulav and Esrog and so maybe you didn't think about the Sukkot lessons sufficiently and therefore you need some time to think it over and that's what Cholom is for. It's a few days that give you the opportunity to think these things over. You have the time to Appreciate the lessons of Sukkot more, and that way you finish off the Yom Tov with more inspiration. You can come back into the second days of Yom Tov with a new inspiration, with the inspiration that you're supposed to get from Sukkot. Cholamoid activities. Question: How important is it for parents to train their children in Simchas Yom Tov? Answer: Very important, but you have to know what Simchas Yom Tov means. Now, some parents think. Simchas Yom Tov means taking out the children for a ride to go to the park. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's Simcha, not Simchas Yom Tov. It's better to train children, even little children, that today is Yom Tov, today is Cholamoid, and to sit down and make a little Masibah, a little party. Even a five-minute Masibah, a covered Yom Tov, a little gathering, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday, Friday afternoon, a little Masibah, 
is more important than two hours in the Bronx Zoo or who knows where. Sit down and talk for a couple of minutes about sukkahs and tell the children, let's sing a song, or something else. And then tell them, suggest it, aren't we having a great time, Kindelach? And they all chime in, yes, but can we go to the park now? That is excellent. These few minutes have laid a foundation. Hoshanas, what is the purpose of circling around the bima when we do Hoshanas? Answer. The purpose is we're acting out an ancient form of serving Hashem. Hashem. I go around your altar, Hashem, to heal him. The purpose of going around something means that is the center of our lives. That is our interest. Just like the color goes around the chosen under the chuppah to show that she's going to dedicate her life to helping the chosen establish a Torah home and serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu together. She'll dedicate herself to raising up a family who will be under his guidance and together they're going to succeed in their lives of service of Hashem. So also we circle the shulchan to show that the Torah is the center of our lives, that the service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the most important of all the things in our lives. Koheles. Why do we read Koheles on Sukkot? Answer. The answer is one answer, I mean, is that because Sukkot is the Chagah Sif, it's the time of affluence, we just took in our crops and we're successful and happy. So, Hishamru Lachem, watch out. Hishamru Lachem. When you eat and you're full, you have to be careful. And therefore, Koheles is the Hishamru Lachem. It teaches you that I call Hevel, it's all nothing. The only thing that matters is Sovtavara Kol Nishma, which means. That if you'll utilize your wealth and your happiness, your affluence for service of Hashem, yes, then it has a place. Otherwise, all the happiness of life is meaningless. HaKadosh Baruch Hu bestows happiness for the purpose. What is the point of happiness? Koheles. Simcha has to accomplish something. It has to accomplish gratitude and love of Hashem. If Simcha doesn't cause you to love Hashem more, then Simcha mazu oiso. What good is Simcha? And therefore, Sukkot's time, when people are celebrating the harvest, they're so full of joy. The granaries are full, they're bursting with grain, everybody's happy, it was a very good year. Oh, watch out now! Make sure you don't misuse that happiness. That's why you need Koheles. Hoshana Rabbah, question. Can the Rav sum up the lessons of Hoshana Rabbah in a few words? We'll see tomorrow morning what the theme of Hashanah Rabbah is. The theme is, and it's surprising that most people don't even notice it. The theme of Hashanah Rabbah is rain. You're asking for rain. The Shatz, the Shaliach Tzibur, stands up and he plaintively prays, Hoshano, Hoshano, he's crying out. Oh no, Hashem, Hoshano, Hoshiono. He's crying out and praying for rain and repeated so many times because that is the theme of the day. And the custom that the Navim instituted of striking the ground with the Arovas, that's also prayer for rain. Pra- that's also prayer for rain. It's a form of praying for rain. People don't know what's taking place. They're thinking about everything else except for the most important thing. On Hashanah Rabbah, of all the things that we request, we are asking for rain. And we've actually been receiving this happiness for the last few days. The only pity is that it interferes with our mitzvah of living in the sukkah. Otherwise, we should be internalizing that it's a happiness, a great happiness. Rain means everything that you put into your mouth, not only the soda, because that's what rain is. It's soda just without the dirt. Rain means not only that you have something to bath in, and that in itself is a great benefit, but rain means entire generations of people. All of us are 80% water. 
That's what we are, 80% rain. So when it rains, generations are descending from the clouds. Rain is a very great blessing. And we should learn that lesson tomorrow. It's a pity. People talk and talk and talk. For hours they're walking around the bimah, talking and walking, talking and walking. And the chazan even puts on a kittel, only that he doesn't begin to know what he's talking about. The same shats who davened all morning, as soon as he finishes davening, he walks out of the shul and it's raining. And he says, what a nasty day. He just got through asking for it. The answer is that he doesn't even know what he's saying. Suppose you would call up your friend once and twice and then a hundred times. And you said to him, please answer me. Hoshano, please come to me. Please answer me. Aneinu, I need you. Please come over. Come, please, come. Hoshano. Finally, he comes over to your house. You beg in incessantly. So finally, he comes over and rings the bell. So you go to the door and tell him, stop bothering me already. What's it, what is that about? You're yelling for hours about rain, rain, rain. And then when the rain comes, you complain about the rain. It shows us how unthinking the world is. It's a pity that nobody thinks. You have to learn what a great blessing rain is. At least that you should come away with after Hoshana Rabbah. You should feel some sort of responsibility to appreciate the rain. If you're going to commit yourselves tomorrow morning, like I'm sure you will, to spend a long time, it takes hours in some places praying for rain, then you have to realize that rain is a great happiness. And that brings us back to one of our old subjects, Godol Yom HaGeshomen, how great is the day when it rains. Only that we're running out of time for tonight. Time is up. So I wish you all a pleasant Yom Tov. Yom Hadin and Hoshana Rabbah question. What is meant when people say that Hoshana Rabbah is the final sealing of the decree that was sealed on Yom Kippur? The truth is that the answer, the truth is, is that the final sealing of the decree is done on Yom Kippur. That is the end, finished. Hoshana Rabbah is actually only Nidonin Alamayim. We've been judged for Parnasa in the form of water that we need for all food to grow. But HaKadosh Baruch always leaves some little last resort for the losers. So if somebody in that little interval between Yom Kippur and Hoshana Rabbah is able to generate a great effort of Teshuvah, he will be able to alleviate to some extent, to some extent, his Gezardin, his final decree, but not ordinarily. Ordinarily, for all practical purposes, the Gazardin is made on Yom, Ki- Yom Kippurim. It's only the Kabbalah Sephorim that re- revealed to us that there is a little back door left to get in. Because according to the Gomorrah, it's only that Bachagni Doinin Alamain, that on Sukkot we are only judged for water, for Parnosa, and that's all. So a person should never wait for Shana Rabbah, never delay doing Teshuvah. A person has to make himself very busy on Yom Kippur doing Teshuvah and he shouldn't rely on Hoshana Rabbah. Yom Hadin and Hoshana Rabbah. The true question, what is meant when people say that Hoshana Rabbah is the final sealing of the decree that was sealed on Yom Kippur? The truth is is that the final sealing of the decree is done on Yom Kippur. That's the end, finished. Shmini Atzeris, question. Why is Shmini Atzeris considered a separate holiday, separate from Sukkot? Answer, you have to know first that Shavuos is the Atzeris for Pesach. A few weeks after Pesach, we come back 
to the Beis HaMikdash for a separate Yom Tov to recap the lessons of Pesach. And the same thing, Shemini Atzeris is Atzeris for Sukkot, for recapping its lessons. Shemini Atzeris really should be a while after Sukkot. It should be a few weeks later. An opportunity to come back to the Beis HaMikdash and review all of the Sukkot lessons. But the Gemara says that right after Sukkot, the winter season begins. It's the rainy season. And if you go home now, you won't be able to come back a month or two later because the roads might be impassable. And therefore, the Torah says, make that series of Sukkot right after Sukkot. Pesach is in the springtime, so you can come back a few weeks later for Shavuos and think over the Pesach lessons then. But on Sukkot, we have Shemini Atzeris right away in order to think things over. And so Shemini Atzeris, that's the day for cementing the lessons into our minds. It's like a sachakol, a final review. What did I accomplish? It's like Chassidim Rishonim HaYishoyim Achas. Um... The tzaddikim used to stand a long Shemon Esrei, but when they finished, they didn't just pick up and leave. They spent a long time thinking back. What did we accomplish in our Shemon Esrei? What places did we not think enough? What places were we mechadish chidushim in our davening? They try to recall and they make a cheshbon, a sachakol, a sum total of their Shemon Esrei. And so on Shemini Atzeris, we make a sachakol, we review all the lessons of Sukkot and cement them into our minds. The joy of Shemini Atzeris. Can question, can the Rav talk to us a little bit about the avoid of Shemini Atzeris? Answer, Shemini Atzeris is mentioned in the Torah with a hint. It says, Shemini Atzeris On the eighth day, it should be for you a special day of coming together, by Midbar. It's a hint that although all the days of Sukkot were days of rejoicing, but the eighth day, that is the climax, the peak of our happiness. And the reason is because now, after so many days of closeness, we are saying farewell finally. Because we came into these days with Rosh Hashanah and then Yom Kippur too, we were concentrating on our tefillahs, and many people are praying better now than they did before, because they were practicing up with the slichas and all the tefillahs, and we are more aware of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We are closer to Him because of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and our seriously made Teshuvah. Especially in the ancient days when they came to Yerushalayim, there was an especial closeness. And then the Yom Tov of Sukkot and finally Shemini Atzeris. Now it's true that Shemini Atzeris has a certain element of sadness because you're about to take leave. But you know when you're about to take leave of your beloved, then the love swells up in your breast more than because now... More than before, because now you're saying farewell. Let's say you're leaving your best friend and you won't see him for some time. Of course, a Kodesh Baruch is always around, but to that special measure of presence of the Shekhinah, we are bidding farewell now. And so Shemini Atzeris is Lachem, it's for you. The Chachomin say it's the time of the greatest love between Hashem and His people. And although in all days of Sukkot we offer 70 offerings, 70 oxen for the welfare of the 70 nations of the world, but on Shemini Atzeris Hashem says today is different, today brings only one Korban. Something special between me and you. And our sages compare it to a king who made a big banquet and invited all the nobles. And after the banquet was over, when the tables were littered with the remains of the banquet and all the dukes and lords went home. So the king spied his best friend, who was still lingering around. 
his friend didn't want to leave. Everybody else left, but the friend is still lingering. So the king said, come over here, let's sit down and make a meal just between me and you. It will be a banquet of love between us. And that is what Shmi Atzeres means, a special love banquet between us and Hashem. In Chutzlar, it's because we're in exile and we live among Gentiles, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu comforts us with one more day. We dance in Simchas Torah too, in Eretz Yisrael, however they finish. So, so Shmini Atzeres, that's the last day, and that is why it is such an important occasion. Simchas Torah, question, how would the Rav say we should best use the dancing and singing on Simchas Torah in order to serve Hashem? On Simchas answer, on Simchas Torah, we get together and we dance and we sing, but you have to know that for most people, this singing is a wasted opportunity. Let's say they sing in Kimitzion the Ravs Hatzal saying the Nigunya, and they dance in singing. It's a pity, it's a waste of time. No, it's not a waste of time. It doesn't have to be a waste. The fact that you repeat in the words should be utilized by you. Each time you say it, you're thinking from Zion, someday will come forth the Torah. And each time you say it with conviction, with the intention that it should be deeper and deeper impressed into your Neshama, that Ki Mitzion takes a Torah. A time will come when the Torah will come out of Zion. You'll see what's going to happen one day. It will be tremendous. A whole torrent of Torah will flow out of Zion and the Devar Hashem will come forth from Yerushalayim. Again and again, again and again, you say the words. But this time you say, you'll say the words with a different intent. Not because you want to hear the nigun again. Not because you want to maintain the tune. No, you want to maintain the words. You want to put those words into your mind. You want it to go in so deep that you become a new personality. So you say the words over and over again. And so too, all those songs which are Shirei Kodesh, you have to get those words into your head. That's why it's not good to have a nigun without words. No, it should be with words. And you say the words over and over again. And each time as you walk and stamp and dance, you're stamping the words into your heart. With each stamp, you bang it into your heart deeper and deeper. That's the way to celebrate Simchas Torah. So that when Simchas Torah is over, you're not just tired and worn out. But after Simchas Torah, you're not the same person anymore. You're a Ben Aliyah. You have practiced that great principle of making your mind follow your words. Isruchag. Question. What is this? What's this idea of Ishuchag, of celebrating Yom Tov on the day after Yom Tov? Answer. In Masech the Sukkah 45b, it says like this. Anybody who makes an addition to Yom Tov by eating and drinking something additional, the Torah considers it for him as if he built an altar to Hashem and he offered an offering now that doesn't make sense the day after Yom Tov you're going to bring an offering but it's all over everybody has gone home and the answer is that you haven't gone home yet. You're still in the aura, in the atmosphere of the Yom Tov, because you hate to part with Yom Tov. You know when Yom Tov comes to an end, we're not required to do more. It's all over. And some people are even looking through the window and they're counting the stars that are visible to know when Yom Tov is finished. But here is a man who long after Yom Tov is over, actually it's the day after Yom Tov, and he has to go to work already. But before he sets out to go to work in the morning, he puts on his breakfast table a bottle of wine. He does have time to drink much but he pours out a little thimble 
full of wine and he also adds one more thing to his breakfast that he ordinarily wouldn't eat and why is he doing that he's doing it in honor of the yomt of the just passed by now to us it seems like a futile expression because after all it's not yomtif last night was avdola it's all over but not for him this man is still adding to the simchas yomtif by demonstrating his affection for the past yomtif by showing that it still lingers in his memory he demonstrates an affection for the yomtif and its lessons and the Gemara is telling us that it's not considered a small thing at all. Adding beyond the line of duty is such an achievement that it's as if he has built a Mizbeach and brought an offering to Hashem. That's the greatness of Isru Chag. After Yom Tov, question, why is it that the month of Cheshvan doesn't have any holidays in it or even any fast days? Answer, and the answer is that Cheshvan comes right after the month of Tisha and since we lost so much time learning, so we need to we need time to make it up. You know, if you learn every day with groups of Bachrim in the yeshiva, your heart your heart hurts because of all the learning that goes lost. Now it's Rosh Hashanah, now it's Yom Kippur, now it's Sukkot. Your heart hurts you. You're missing so much. And if you're a businessman, you lose out a lot. If you work for a company, your boss is getting more sour with you every day. He sees you taking off for this Yom Tov and this holiday. You need a lot of alibis to explain that. So finally, Cheshvan comes along and it's a solid month of achievement. You can work every day, you can learn every day, and that's a great blessing, a great opportunity for making progress. No Yomim Tovim, no fast days. There's a lot of time to achieve. Now, if you have a better explanation, go ahead. Why not?